0: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good
1: morning everyone and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. This morning we have a very special guest with us, Arjuna Arda. Arjuna is a writer, public speaker, executive coach. She's actually trained more than 2,000 coaches around the world over the last 25 years to help people awaken To What's important to them? He has written nine books. He has appeared in the United Nations, giving talks on the importance of self-awareness. His recent book, Radical Brilliance, is all about how and why people have original ideas which change the world.
2: And he wants to teach you how to do that, too. Arjuna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's great to be back. So it is good to have you back. Where you? Where are you today? I'm sitting at home in my beautiful uh, house in the Sierra Nevada foothills of the in the the mountains. It's uh, it's a beautiful day. Uh, We have uh, we have brand new bees who have joined us in our garden. So every time I look out, bees. Well, this is a good thing, right? We want more bees. <laughs> we, we need more we, bees. we want more bees, and we're very happy to host the bees at our house.
1: Yes, lovely, lovely. So, Arjuna, uh, you have, in the few years that I've known you, you have always um, appeared to me as someone who has a deep, deep, deep inner well of curiosity and, and a mind that's always at work and then there is this sense of you that is calm and serene and um, just the observer. And I've always, always, in the few years that I've known you, um, I've had that experience of you where there's, there's both the intently quiet, receptive, present, and there is the intently always at work, Making things happen, curious discovery, almost like a explorer in you. That's how I experience you. What when I say that to you, what what comes up for you? What makes what do you think of?
2: <laughs> well, I think uh, I think of how sweet you are. I <laughs> love you, are and how you always see the best in other people. (laughs) That's what I think. (laughs) I think, you know, I think often, uh, you know, there's that old saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I think we could also say that all those nice things you said, curiosity and calm and all those things, are also in the eye of the beholder. And I think in a way, you know, that's what this book is pointing to, is Mm -hmm. uh, cultivating a state of consciousness where you can see the world with fresh eyes, where you can see the world, um, through eyes of awe, uh, without seeing the world through eyes of conditioning, and when we see the mm. world with fresh eyes, and when we see people with fresh eyes, we see possibilities that were not there before. We see, mm. we see a world of wonder, and that's you know a nice thing to do to have a nice day. But it's also an essential thing to do in order for us to innovate and to, to help humanity evolve out of its present state of. Of kind of conflict, you know, not only conflict between people, but conflict between ideologies, which keeps us stuck. So, in order for in order Mm. for humanity to move forward, and in order for humanity to move forward, it also means in order for the planet to be kind of relieved of this oppression of a very um, of a very kind of disruptive species. In order for us to move into our potential, it's important for us to learn to think and to see the world and see people in new ways, which is exactly what you've just demonstrated. Mm. So, uh,
1: you know, this whole concept of potential, I was um, thinking about how, and I I think you had something in your book about this too, the the self-help and human potential movement and how we as a species are... Absolutely obsessed with getting better. And we are constantly looking at how we can be different than we are and reach further. And I'm wondering if we have done that at a cost.
2: You know, do we. Sure, absolutely.
1: Is, is, is the cost that we don't even uh, acknowledge the brilliance of the moment that
2: we are? Right. Well, yeah, well, you know the way. The way that I often think about this is, you know, I forget, Cheryl. You have to remind me. Have you had children? No, we did not have children. Hmm. But are, are you an aunt, are you an auntie? Do you have you have you got any? Nephews? Oh yes. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. We have plenty right. of, of nieces and nephews. Yes. Right. And were there ever were there ever times when you were taking care of your nieces and or your nephews? So you were you were the one oh. in charge when they went oh, to yes. bed. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, you, you know, when you, if you, cause I had, I had, uh, I have two boys and of course when they were little, I had two little boys that I, mm-hmm. I was, you know, their, I was their father. And I can remember there were times when I had picked them up from school and we'd gone to, we'd gone shopping and cause I, I it was very important to me to always cook for them with, from raw ingredients, not to buy any packaged food. So oh, we'd go yeah. shopping. We would come home, we would tr- chop all the ingredients, we would make our food, we would eat our food, we would wash our dishes, then we would do homework. Then they were allowed, allowed a little bit of um, you know, TV or something, uh, or a movie, or they were allowed a little bit of that. Then they would go to bed. And then I would, of course, do some more cleaning. I would prepare their breakfast for the next day. I would prepare their packed lunches. Then I would go to bed exhausted. And it happened a few times, after having gone to bed exhausted, in the middle of the night, I would hear, Daddy, Daddy. And one of my sons was sick. Like, maybe he vomited, you know, mm-hmm. kids do get, get sick as, as their um, right. immune system strengthens. And um, so I would jump out of the bed, you know. So the question is, in, in a moment like that, when your child is crying out for help and support, are you mm-hmm. going to sit and meditate? Are you going to <laughs> change and ask yourself, you know, what is, my, what is my true purpose now? What is my calling or what feels right to me? Mm. You know, are you going to involve yourself in some sort of self-improvement exercise before taking action? Or are you going to jump out of the bed and do what needs to be done, you know? And Indeed. what I noticed... Sorry? Indeed... <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. What I noticed in all those years of being a single father, you know, that was the most potent time of maturation and evolution for me. I learned, I learned how to be a good man during those years by looking mm-hmm. after my little boys. And um, I think, in the same way, you know, if you if you go to Google News and scan through the different stories, which their algorithm. Uh, is telling you are the top stories of the day globally, if you look through what's going on, if you, if you scan through what's going on on the planet, <laughs> if that doesn't look urgent to you, then I think, you know, it's time to get some new glasses because yeah. there is, you know, the, the world is crying out for innovation. The world is crying out mm. for smart people to mm. jump into action but but centered action, not frenetic action. The world is crying out for intelligent people to make a difference. And in my opinion, you know, if you do have children or grandchildren, or if you have nephews and nieces, and then maybe grandkids and grandnieces, if we want them to have a future, if we want them to have a place to grow up, this is not a good time to be contemplating our navels. You know, This is a good time to (laughs) garnish, to, to gather up, all of the work we've done to bring out the best in ourselves and to make a contribution. And that's what this book is really about. It's it's not not about just like crazy action, just running around in circles, but it's about actually using your life to make the best possible contribution you have. And of course, I mean, I'm sure in a minute we'll talk about the components of brilliance, the the brilliant cycle, but of course this involves times of meditation. It involves times of self-reflection. But what's most important is that those components Turn into a life of contribution. Hmm. I love the way you put that.
1: And you know, you know and yes, I do want to get to the brilliant cycle. I want to first um, ask you, though, when you were a young child. You know, all of your background includes the um, piece of information that you really, at fourteen, were very interested in spiritual awakening. And I want to know. What is it that was going on in your life that allowed you even to have a sense that there was an awakening possibility?
2: Um, The answer to that question is pain. Mm. Pain Mm. was going on in my life. Uh, Mm. uh, Unbearable psychological pain. I I was uh, born into a family... Where, bless their hearts, everybody was uh, pretty out to lunch. You know, there was a lot of suicide yeah. and mental illness in my family. And I could see, you know, I went, I went, I started off actually, I didn't start off with um, spiritual seeking. I started off with psych- psychotherapy and psychiatry. But pretty soon I realized the extent of my family conditioning was way beyond the scope of psychology to help me out. <laughs> I needed like a yeah. personality trait. I needed a personality transplant, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so basically that, that was where I, I got interested in the idea of transcending rather than fixing. And that, mm. you know, that led me to an interest in, in, uh, in that kind of thing. But, you know, as Radical Brilliance explains, that kind of world of spiritual inquiry is only a part <clears throat> of what is needed. It's not the whole solution. It, it is important that we, all of us, can learn how to have moments of transcendence and stillness where we can where we mm. can kind of go beyond the limits of what the mind can conceive of but that's only a part you know a, a life that is only about spirituality is a very
3: limited life
1: mm. indeed so you are a very I don't think very prolific is the right grammar. You are a prolific writer, and you have a way, my experience with your writing is, is that you have a way of speaking directly to the reader. You know, it's like there's no one in between you and the reader. You just want to have this connection, and it comes through in every one of the books that I have seen that you have written. Thank you so is much. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Um, is, is there a... I don't even know how to ask this question. Is that on purpose, or is that simply a style that is natural to you? I'm just curious about your thinking on that.
2: Yeah. Well, um, I don't really know, because you know I live inside my own skin, and I live inside my own incarnation, Cheryl. But I think like you, mm-hmm. and probably like many people listening... Uh, I care, and I'm, I'm a little mm. bit concerned. You know, I mean, I, I enjoy each day. I enjoy our bees, and I enjoy the garden, but I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm concerned mm. because, I, you know, I have, I mean, I have children, and it's not only my biological children I'm concerned about. I, I'm, concerned, I'm concerned that so many things are out of balance, and that yeah. concern leads me to feel that is the most important and urgent use of my life. You know, other things mm. can, be, can take a second place, But the most important use of a human life I feel today for those of people who are able to or in prison or, you know, just trapped inside a a Mm. mind that's, that's, you know, obsessed in some way. But if you have enough space in your life to make a difference, it seems to me a moral obligation or perhaps that moral is not the right word, but it seems to me just a... Yeah, there's just a, a compunction. It, it's the, obviously the right thing to do to make a difference, to use your resources, yeah. to see what we can do, to up the up the game, up the game sufficiently that we can start to be thinking in terms of solutions and sustainability instead of uh, problems and consumption. Mm-hmm. Well, so you in the book you talk about how
1: you help people to. Find their unique gift. You help people to um, learn how to be their best self. Is this all in preparation of then stepping up to humanity and doing what's right for the planet and the species and
2: the world? Yeah, that's what the book's about. Yeah, the book is about brilliance. And, and, and what, I, what I mean by brilliance, what I define as brilliance in the book, is being a vehicle in the evolu- in, of evolution, a vehicle of evolution, mm-hmm. so that basically human beings can human beings can evolve to the best version of themselves, but not necessarily personally. I mean, personally as a part of it, but what's more important today is collectively. You know, so yeah. an individual, an individual becoming wealthy or famous or being this great person. That's pretty irrelevant, really, because that individual is just a tiny, tiny dot. In the same way, and if you had a, if you had a forest that was diseased, uh, creating one health, creating one really, really, really healthy tree, is not really solving the problem. What we want to do is find a way yeah. to shift the state of health of the whole forest, and that's mm-hmm. really, that's really where we can contribute because. Uh, trying to reach your full potential personally can become a narcissistic obsession. What's actually more important is to change the way that we operate collectively. And that's what the book's about. You know, that's what Radical Brilliance is about. It's how you can become an instrument of evolution, which ironically, you know, it seems very altruistic. Like, oh, well, so I'm going to give my life over to making a difference to people that are not yet born, so I'm going to give up all my own pleasure. But it's actually the opposite, you know, that when you... When you do find your place in the evolution of things, that's when life falls into harmony. That's when, you, that's when your relationships get good. That's when your money finds its own balance and you have enough. And that's where that's we where mm-hmm. have plenty of energy. Like the people I know who are really dedicated to making a difference, you know, live with lots of energy into their 70s and 80s. That's what gives you energy and health is contribution a life of contribution and meaning greed and selfishness it's contracting so it makes you sick you know it Mm. makes you makes you die more quickly but when you when you give your life to this expansive current of making a difference I'm thinking of for example of Lynn Twist who we both know Mm. you know who's well into her 70s you know her agenda when she wakes up in the morning every day is to save the Amazon rainforest and she's very very successful the Pachamama Alliance has already put more than a million acres of um, rainforest in in, in Ecuador into permanent land trust. Before that, she raised $2.2 billion to end world hunger. This is somebody on fire with making a difference, and she's got tons of energy, you know, well into her 70s. Barbara Marks Hubbard is 88. (laughs) <laughs> Barbara Mahatma's life is about evolution, about conscious co-creation. Yes. She's traveling the globe constantly. So people who find this kind of motivation where their life is dedicated to something beyond themselves, they have energy, they have health, they have, they have everything. Yes. I
1: love that, and I also love the um, distinction that with your your focus on um, making the world collectively a better place or, you know, whatever it is your specific passion is, that it's, it doesn't have to be a martyrdom situation. You don't have to give yourself up in order to make a difference. In fact, doing that could actually end up it being counter to what you're trying to achieve. So I'm Exactly. That. And there's a, there's and a wonderful yeah.
2: story in the book. You can read Lynn Twist's story where she talks about that very eloquently about yep. how yep. she's yep. had this incredibly full life, full of blessings, but these blessings all came not as a result of grasping for something for me. These blessings came from a life dedicated to brilliance, and maybe you know, maybe in a moment we can talk about the the, the, the components of the brilliant cycle, because then we can understand how this is not a matter of, of genetic luck. Uh, becoming brilliant is something that anybody can cultivate through the right practice.
1: Fantastic, and we will do that when we come back from this break.
0: Música consulting developing leaders worldwide
3: is email an important part of your business it is for us that's why voice america partners with mailjet mailjet lets us create impactful newsletters and deliver them right to the inbox fast microsoft mit and avis trust mailjet for their emailing and so should you go to mailjet.com and use the promo code voice america to start emailing for free today Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
1: Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my very special guest today, Arjuna Arda, the awakening coach and the author of Radical Brilliance. So, Arjuna, we've been talking about the concept of brilliance and and what it really is. So, you talk
2: about a brilliance cycle. Talk to us about what that is. Right. Well, you know, We could think of an analogy of health, you know, good physical health. Good physical health is not the result of one thing. So, for example, you could say, well, to be healthy, you need to eat a lot of food, eat a lot of good food. But if you only, only, only ate lots of good food and you never went to the bathroom, you wouldn't be healthy. Good good health requires eating good food. It also requires um, elimination. Equally, good health involves Um, uh, sleeping at night but if you just stayed in bed and slept all the time it also requires exercise and activity good health requires sometimes solitude sometimes being with people so good health is actually the result of a number of factors which are actually opposites. sleep is the opposite of activity, eating is the opposite of elimination, so in the same way, what I've discovered through these 420 interviews that I did uh, as research for this book I discovered that brilliance, when it occurs, there are actually four kinds of subjective states, four, four kind of states of consciousness that constitute brilliance. And these correspond to four kinds of brain wave activity and, and brain chemistry, which are very different from each other. And they usually don't coexist because they're opposites. So in the rare hmm. case where these four very different kinds of subjective experience and brain activity, when they coexist in a human life, that's where we have brilliance. So I'll briefly describe what they are. You can think of the brilliance cycle like a clock, you know, with 12 at the top, Mm -hmm. three on the right, six at the bottom, nine on the left. So 12 o'clock is uh, on the cycle is the place of what we call awakening. Now, awakening doesn't need to be anything religious. Awakening simply means a moment, at least moments, where you recognize consciousness without limits. It's like looking up into the sky. You know, when you when you go outside mm. and look up into the sky and peer into the sky, you realise you are looking into something that has no boundary. There's no wall at the mm. edge of the universe. Right. It's infinite. Mm. So in the same way, when we have the capacity to recognize the nature of consciousness and to realise that it is boundaryless, limitless but also silent. It has no gender, it's not masculine or feminine. It was never born, because it has no content, it was never born, it could never die. In a moment of realizing the nature of consciousness, this we could say is a moment of awakening. Now this happens to lots of people, it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. limited to meditation or being spiritual or religious. People have moments of awakening with extreme sports, that's a big motivation for why people do extreme sports. People have moments of awakening and sexuality. There's lots of times when people have these moments of a break in the usual buzzing of thoughts, and there is a moment where you see through the thoughts, like look seeing through the the clouds into the open sky. Now... You can get caught there. If you, if you develop a spiritual mm. ideology, you get caught in a kind of an addiction to those moments of awakening. But if you don't get mm. caught in it, then it starts to move and evolve. It starts to move around the cycle. So as we move from 12 to three, we're moving from awakening to creative flow. And the beginning of that, you could say at like you know, five minutes past 12, right after the, right after the peak of the cycle, are these momentary tremors, little tremors which we experience physically as pleasure in the body. It's like a sexual feeling in the body, not necessarily in the genitals, just a little wave of pleasurable energy. And we we hardly notice it a lot of the time. It's like a Mm -hmm. moment of excitement. So these are Mm -hmm. moments, little moments of, of very pleasurable feeling. And as they build in intensity... As they increase in intensity, we move around the cycle from 12 to 3. So as we get to 3, it's no longer about spirituality at all. It's about creative flow. 3 o'clock on the cycle cycle is full-on creative flow. It's like this is the artist up all night painting, a poet who's just automatic writing. It's like when, when band members jam together and they get in rhythm and yeah. they're just being carried by the music. So this is, this is flow. And it's, it's just as twelve o'clock was characterized mostly by serotonin in the brain. So three o'clock is characterized by dopamine. As we move mm-hmm. around, from and there are also there are brain wave characteristics. There's a whole neurophysiology to these states. As we move from three to six, now three o'clock is a moment of a moment of flow. But in the heart of three o'clock, when you're in this flow there is a particular kind of creative impulse which is called intention. And intention is creativity with time attached to it, right? Creativity, intention is a creative impulse which is like now an arrow pointing into the future. And that's what carries you from three to six. The movement from three to six is about productivity. So it's the movement from creative flow into actually achieving things and accomplishing things. So the movement from three to six is the movement from up all night automatic writing to publishing a book. It's the movement from having a new, an idea of a new invention to actually releasing the, the new phone or the new gizmo or mm-hmm. the new something. It's, it's, it's the movement from creativity to productivity. That's, that's that movement. It's, again, it's completely different brain kind of brain activity. The brain goes into a completely different state when it has to meet deadlines and operate within time, within agreements, within budgets, within restriction. So by the time you get down to three o'clock, it's basically about business. It's about production. It's about getting things done. And the thing about staying at three o'clock very long, again, in the heart, in the heart of of the fullness of each movement is born the seed of the next movement. So as we get down to six o'clock, we begin the, the beginning of the next movement, which is, uh, which is born out of double bind. Because when, you're, when you hang out at six o'clock in productivity, you have to make choices and decisions. So that's mm-hmm. inevitable. You have to choose this over that. That's the nature of being in the world. Whenever you're faced with a, with a choice or a decision, you're faced with a phenomenon that Gregory Bateson called double bind. Which means whichever choice you make, there is going to be some element of regret. And that's what moves us from six to nine. Six to nine is the movement of self-reflection, learning. It begins with momentary feelings of shame, regret, failure, and inadequacy. But as we move around from six to nine, we move into self-forgiveness, self-acceptance, Awareness of our limitations, humility. Nine o'clock is the seat of humility, and if this piece is missing, if the six to nine phase is missing, as it is tragically missing in many people, you can have a lot of creativity, a lot of productivity, but you don't have the you don't you need six to nine to reconnect with things bigger than your mind. Because 9 o'clock, mm-hmm. because it's a place of humility, you realize I don't know very much. My mind is a very small tool, and mm-hmm. the enormity of what I don't know and what I don't understand is much greater than what I do know and I do understand. So that's 9 o'clock, a place of humility, characterized by, by more GABA in the brain. The brain chemical is GABA associated with... with that's where you feel, okay, I've done enough. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm limited. I've, I've done my best. But you know, there's a limit to what I'm capable of. So nine o'clock again, a seed is born out of the fullness of humility. A seed is born, which is an intuition of something bigger than your mind. So that's where we have either we have the seed of, of spiritual longing, where you, you long mm-hmm. to transcend your mind, or you have the seed of religious devotion, where you where you start to have an intuition of a higher power that can actually take care of you. Mm-hmm. So the, the movement from six to, from from nine to twelve which brings us back to where we started, is the movement from humility to surrender. So that's where you actually hand yourself over to something bigger than your mind. When you get back to 12, you're back into a moment of awakening and fresh impulses can arise. Now, a brilliant person is going to be living that cycle every day in a Mm. a deeper way every week, every month, every year. It's going to be lived through the light of the cycle. So we have cycles within cycles. But a, a truly brilliant person embodies All four of those phases, which, as you can see, are in contradiction to each other.
1: Mm, Indeed. So I'm curious about this going from six to nine. um, When you talk about how there has to be uh, in the disillusion, there has to be, there will be pain, doubt, self-doubt, shame, regret, a sense of inadequacy in order to... Move into a level of acceptance or, or trust, um, and to ultimately get to surrender and humility. Is this is this a requirement for this cycle to be
2: in place? Well, on a case by case basis, not necessarily. So you can have you could have a project where everything seems to go well. And it seems like you didn't make any mistakes and you didn't, have to make, you didn't have to make any compromises. But that might be true about one decision. But it doesn't seem that it's possible to move boldly through life uh, yes. and to have that happen all the time. So sooner or later, yeah. people experience making mistakes. Sooner or later, people experience um, yeah, a feeling of you know maybe I could have done it better. Now a good example of this was um, last night I watched the interview with uh, James Comey, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who, for better or worse, I don't want to take sides with this, but for better or worse, James Comey is a very different personality than the president. And and what James Comey was was able to do frequently in this interview, because he was under attack, you know, from uh, he was not yeah. attacked, but but. Um, George, what's his name? George, the guy who was the press secretary. For Stephanopoulos. Yeah, Stephanopoulos. You know, was being quite tough on him. You know, was saying like, well, couldn't you have done this better? Yeah. And George Comey saying, instead of defending himself, he said, yeah, probably. And he said, probably I could have done it better. When I think about it, you know, I was under the gun. I could have, I, it was probably a mistake. And, and then, yeah. and at one point he said, you know, There I was, a flawed human being among other flawed human beings. That is the voice of six to nine. Somebody who is freely and willingly able to say, I'm just a small human being doing my best. There's so much that I don't know. And that is, it's that willingness. You see, you have to at least be willing to momentarily taste the flavor of shame in order to come to... Humility. You're not gonna get to humility if you refuse to ever feel your limitations. And the emotion that we feel when we touch our limitations is shame. We feel ashamed. We feel I didn't do a good job. We feel, you know, we feel we don't wanna show our face. And that is, if you get stuck in that permanently, which was the problem with some of the religions that we've grown out of, you know, they prescribed a permanent diet of shame. If you live only on shame, it's very toxic. But if you refuse to ever feel shame, it also cuts you off from the possibility of humility. And so when you talk
1: about the cycle getting blocked, it sounds like in some ways we get in our own way.
2: Talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, um, the cycle, as I've explained it to you so far, which is mapped out in much more detail in the book, um, is actually somewhat theoretical. Right. In the same way, we talk about the flow, of, the flow of qi through the meridians yeah. um, in Chinese medicine, but that's that's just a theoretical model because the qi is not flowing freely through all the meridians in almost anybody. Yeah. What we actually, when you when you go to the acupuncturist and they measure your pulse, they're going to say, oh, you've got you know you've got a deficiency in this organ and you've got you've got an ex- excess of energy in this organ. And so they, they they try to create more balance. But so in the same way, this cycle, the brilliant cycle, it's it is. I've not seen it to be flowing completely freely in almost anybody. You see, but what actually what you see when you uh, when you talk to people is that there are four kinds of blockage that occur. And once we understand that blockage, is quite easy to to diagnose really and to map, then we can also prescribe remedies to unblock the cycle. So the four kinds of blockage which apply in all those phases I talked about are the first is addiction, where we get caught in one phase of the cycle and we just want to stay there. There's a reason why we do that. The second is judgment, where we develop a dislike or looking down our noses at one part of the cycle. The third is Mm. aspiration resistance, where you set up a part of the cycle as incredibly desirable, but you never quite make it. And the fourth Mm. is um, looping, where you you become a specialist in one tiny part of the cycle and just loop around there and make that your professional life. So when we understand the nature of blockage and that all four kinds of blockage can occur in all four phases, We actually have 16 distinct flavors of blockage, and then we can actually understand how practice can help us to unblock that.
1: Oh, and and so is there an easy way to discern which blockages um, someone may be stuck in in which part of the cycle?
2: Well, the book does a pretty good, pretty good job of that, as you probably saw. You know, the, the, book, the book really maps the, 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 the characteristics of blockage in, in each of the four phases. But, nice. then, you know, this, but that's also the benefit of mentoring and coaching and peer support is sometimes we don't see our own addiction, but it's usually pretty evident to other people. So by getting coached mm. or mentored or working with other people, we get to see where where the cycle is blocked and where we can apply practice to free it up again. Right, right, right.
1: So what is it that um, is the best way to get it unblocked, besides being coached um, and, you know, having deep self-awareness? And what are the
2: ways to get parts of it unblocked? Well, really, it's, that's the whole thing, is it's applying the right practice, you know. So uh, no, again, some of those yeah, well, uh, it would depend on where we are in the cycle because that's, I mean, okay. the book actually maps practice so you can yeah. just about anything that anybody does as a discipline to change it falls somewhere into the map, you see, because now we can understand that a practice that's really good uh, for one person in one state would be terrible for another person in a different state. So you can see mm. how practices are appropriate to different parts of the cycle.
1: Interesting. So I would imagine, I don't know if this is true or not, but I would imagine that um, each one of us has a tendency toward one or the other um, stages of the cycle and one or the other types of blockages at certain points. Would that be true?
2: Definitely, yeah. And the book also um identifies that well, once we get clear about blockage and unblock the cycle, there are certain people who just have an affinity for a certain part of the cycle. So some people mm. are just naturally more creative and that's their gift. Mm. But if you lean into your strengths and the cycle and refuse to participate in other parts of the cycle you become very creative but not brilliant, you know? So, mm. and, so somebody, for example, who meditates a lot, who really leans into that awakening part of the cycle, they could become very spiritual but not brilliant. You could become creative mm. but not brilliant. You could become productive but not brilliant. You could become very good at working on yourself. You could become very kind of humble and, and good at processing yourself but not brilliant. It's only when... You can have a strength in one area, but it requires the whole, blockage, the whole cycle to be alive in order for brilliance to become the, the perfume mm. of your life. I love that
1: um, table you have in the book that describes the different phases and the different um, um, approaches to moving through some of these blocks. It's very helpful, it's very helpful. Yeah, that's the kind of
2: summary so, of the blockage chapter, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you talk about this cycle only going one way. It only goes one direction. Why?
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know about why. I can't really explain why. I think part of the why why is to do with neurobiology, that you can see how certain brain chemicals are precursors to others. So, for Uh, example, uh, a, a, a brain full of serotonin is not going to produce GABA. A brain full of serotonin is going to produce, It's going to start producing dopamine because it, because yeah. as you get more and more content, serotonin produces this kind of quality of contentment and, and you know like knitting for example generates serotonin because it creates a yeah. feeling of yeah. like, kind of like you know the mind not really doing much. So that's a meditative state. Serotonin naturally n- yields the production of dopamine. When you're when you've got a lot of dopamine, naturally you want to create things. Well, that's going to generate dopamine. Is going to generate uh, testosterone in the man, uh, estrogen and oxytocin in the woman. So it's going to generate this kind of movement toward productivity. As you get closer to deadlines, you're going to build up noradrenaline because noradrenaline is a brain chemical that allows you to operate effectively within boundaries. It's uh, a stress stress chemical in the brain. So as you as you build up noradrenaline in the brain and adrenaline, cortisol in the in the in the body. Uh, you're going to have a dominance of sympathetic nervous system activity and a suppression of parasympathetic activity. So naturally, as, the, as, you, as you push that to its limit, you kind of collapse in a big way or a small way, mm. there's going to be a parasympathetic flooding. And as there's a parasympathetic flooding and you pay more attention to your bodily needs, that's naturally going to lead to GABA. GABA you produce GABA when you sleep. You know? so you, you, you're, and GABA, when, you, when your brain is full of GABA, and you feel contented, you feel everything's taken care of, the longer you stay in a GABA state, the more you're gonna produce serotonin. So, in a way, the direction of the cycle is determined by neuro, neuro, neurochemistry, but equally, you can see how behaviorally, you know, one state naturally leads to another. There is no mm. healthy model for it going the other way. That makes a lot
1: of sense, and you sound like a very deep research scientist. <laughs> We're going to come back. We're going to come back after we take a break, and we're going to continue with this conversation with Arjuna Ardhan.
3: what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice TRN. is email an important part of your business it is for us that's why voice america partners with mailjet mailjet lets us create impactful newsletters and deliver them right to the inbox fast microsoft mit and avis trust mailjet for their emailing and so should you Go to mailjet.com and use the promo code VoiceAmerica to start emailing for free today.
0: We appreciate you joining our Leading Conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
4: Welcome
1: back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my very special friend and guest today, Arjuna Arda. So Arjuna, this book that you've written, Radical Brilliance, uh, is, is, well, to coin a word, brilliant. It is a lovely um, introduction and deep dive into, you know, kind of how people work and what is our best way to tap into our own brilliance. Whenever... I interview authors um, about the books that they're very passionate about that they've written. I always find that, um, you know, the core seed for things like this comes from something internal in themselves. And so I'm wondering how the, this book and what you've learned and shared with the world in this book,
2: um, how it reflects you in your own personal development. Well, enormously, Cheryl. I mean, really, you know, enormously. I think the, the the book is about the process of writing the book, and the writing of the book was an, a, a prime example of what the book's describing. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I certainly feel, I certainly feel in my own life what the book is talking about, which is um, that today, uh, the most appropriate focus of your life is contribution, more than mm. self-improvement, more than spirituality, more than being creative, more than trying to get enlightened, more than any of those things, the most, the most sane, logical, ethical, admirable, honorable use of a human life is contribution to the welfare mm. of others. And I think specifically to the welfare of people not yet born. You know, what are the decisions that we can mm. make today which will, which will increase the well-being of people who are not even yet alive? You know, the grandchildren mm. of our grandchildren, because we can do that. We can, make, we can make decisions in many different fields to make sure that the grandchildren of our grandchildren prosper. And that, mm. I mean, not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody can do that. But... Um, not everyone chooses to do that. I guess everyone can do that, but certainly that's what, that's what I'll put my roulette chips on.
1: Yeah.
2: I love that. So
1: you've mentioned that there are some key practices um, that you are especially fond of in the different stages of the cycle. So tell Hmm. us about this.
2: Sure. Well, let me give you a few examples. So, you know, Basically, the the point of of radical brilliance is practice. I mean, the whole thing is theoretical and interesting until we get into practice, and then it moves from being interesting to being pragmatic. So in 12 to 3, uh, which is about moving from stillness to creative flow, uh, a great practice, one great practice would be automatic writing, just having a journal Mm. where you... You write, you know, after, after you've had some time of stillness, you just write without stopping, or you could walk fast with a voice recorder, or you could speak your ideas to a friend. But the idea is to get a flow going where you're not editing at the same time. Um, by the way, I haven't made up any of these practices. I've just mapped them. Most of the practices are, are commonplace. They're, they're things that everybody yeah. knows. I'm just, I'm just explaining how they can be mapped. So from three, there's like no it. original practices in the book. From three to six... Um, the the the, the key to practice from three to six is making promises and keeping them. Right? So and both of those components are important. Making promises and then keeping the promises. In order to practice effectively from three to six, you don't just keep a few promises, you make bold promises. You 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 promise things that are a little bit of a stretch and then you do them. Uh, the, the, the essence of practice, I mean, there's lots of more practices, and we have a global practice community that people can join to practice together. The key from six to nine is about the willingness to learn and the willingness to get feedback. So a very simple practice from six to nine, a, a kind of beginning practice, would be towards the end of the day as the sun's going down to, to journal and to write, um, what did I learn today? What mistakes did I make today? Did I hurt anybody today? Did I, did I do anything that I regret today? And how, how would mm-hmm. I choose to do that differently tomorrow? That would be a practice that would, that would open the faucet a little bit on six to nine. And then practices from nine to 12 are anything that moves you from the personal to the transcendental. So... Uh, just taking a curiosity in the nature of consciousness, asking the question, who is experiencing this moment? Who, is, who or what is hearing the sound? Who or what is feeling sensation in the body? What is mm. the nature of that which experiences? That's the practice that will bring you from focus on the personal to focus on that which is beyond the personal.
1: Mm. I love that. Those seem so approachable and easy for place for people to start. Um, I I really, really love this. So, Arjuna, I know that, um, you know, because you are such an amazing, um, what's the word I want to use? You're so thorough in this book. There is so much information and people are really going to want to spend some time with it. So where can they
2: get it? Well, there's a website. You want to write it down? Sure. It's a little complicated. (laughs) A-M-A-Z-O-N. (laughs) Amazon. You can get it as a paperback. You can get it as a Kindle. You can get it as an Audible. If you prefer, you can go to your bookshop. They may not have it, but they can order it from Ingram. You can go to your library. You can have them order it from Ingram. So basically, anywhere where people get books, you can get it. But you can get it as a book. You can get it as a Kindle. And so you can read it on your phone. And you can also get mm-hmm. it as, a, as an Audible. And you can listen to my dulcet tones when you're at the gym.
1: <laughs> well, I have both. And I have loved listening to your beautiful melodic voice as you are reading the book um, in Audible. It's just lovely. And it also is, it makes me feel very connected to you. So I like it. <laughs>
2: Um, thank you.
1: So, well, I like Arjun, to your Arjuna, this has been lovely having you here today. We really, really appreciate it. The book is Radical Brilliance The Anatomy of How and Why People Have Original Life Changing Ideas by Arjuna Arda on Amazon.com now. Arjuna, we will have you back again as one of our very thank special you. guests of leading conversations. Thank you for being with us
2: today. Thank you, Cheryl. My pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: So, remember everyone to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito.